wondered how taboo, shame, and lack of good sexual education have stripped away elements of pleasure in childbirth and parenting that are essential to loving, intimate relationships? Join me for another episode of Orgasmic Birth Podcast, Pleasure in Pregnancy, Birth, and Parenting, as we break down and heal barriers and open the door to more love and intimacy in birth and life. What do you think of when you think of an epidural? Do you have any idea what the percentage of people that have an epidural with the practice that you're giving birth at? What's the epidural rate at the local hospitals, in your community, in your state, in your country? Those are really good questions because whatever a rate of intervention is, is the rate that you might have access to that. And in some places, lack of access to epidurals can be a problem because as my mentor, Penny Simpkin, always says, when pain becomes suffering, no one should suffer in childbirth and an epidural can be a valuable tool. But our overuse of epidurals, I believe, is also putting people at risk and decreasing their chance of having a pleasurable orgasmic birth. Hi, I'm Deborah Pascali Bonaro. I'm director of Orgasmic Birth and host of the Orgasmic Birth Podcast. I had talked with you a few episodes back about creating your birth preferences, and hopefully you downloaded our free guide to creating your positive, pleasurable, orgasmic birth preferences. And I mentioned how important it is to talk about epidurals. I think that epidurals, as I said in the intro, can be a really valuable resource, but I also see them overused, dangled in front of people. And so I'd like to take time today to just look through and go over some thoughts about epidurals. Couple things for me. You probably know me by now. I'm really sensitive to language. And being a doula and a childbirth educator for almost 30 years, 30 years ago, epidurals were called the epidural. And back then, the epidural rate was probably about 20 plus percent. As a matter of fact, for many people who wanted an epidural, it wasn't available, even if they were in a busy U.S. city, because sometimes the anesthesiologist was someone who was on call for any emergency in the hospital. So if someone came into the emergency room and needed surgery, the anesthesiologist went there, and someone who was laboring might have to wait for hours and maybe have the baby before the anesthesiologist arrived. And so women and all birthing people started complaining. And so hospitals responded and they actually created anesthesia just for labor and delivery. But like anything, when birth is a business in the United States, then they have to make sure that it's justified. So when they put an anesthesiologist on staff, only for labor and delivery. I literally was at a meeting probably 25 years ago presenting about doulas. But before I could go, the chief of obstetrics actually got up and said, we need to get our epidural rate up. We're not making budget. And that was the first time I had this really like pause going, what? This is about money over people? 
And why do you have me up next to speak? Because people that have a doula are far less likely to request an epidural because doulas will help labor be shorter and easier. So people are moving more, coping better, and pain doesn't become suffering. So the other thing that's been happening in hearing all this is that today, when people are going into the hospital, Years ago, they were always asked, would you like an epidural? It was a yes or no question. And what I've heard in the last 10 years is, when would you like your epidural? Listen to that again. When would you like your epidural? Why did the epidural become personal? Remember, it was, do you want it a yes or no? And it was the, it was an object. It wasn't your epidural. And so I even hear people talking about, I had my epidural. So there's been a shift around epidural. Some of it is staffing. It was meeting the need that many women had. No one should suffer in childbirth, but by having someone there and now personalizing that we need to justify the budget. It's now a personal thing. And when someone says to you, when do you want an epidural, whether they're wearing a white coat, a blue coat, but they're in some uniform of authority, what people hear when they're laboring is you're coming in, you're unsure, you want to come into someone who's got you, who says you're doing great, who trusts you, trusts birth and is going to support you to have the birth you desire. But when they say when, what most people hear is, you don't think I can do it, or maybe I'm not doing well enough already. And so it only usually takes one person to put doubt in someone's mind, and that can spiral out of control. I'm even hearing people saying like, why don't you get it before you need it so you never reach that point of suffering? Or get it before the anesthesiologist is busy or has to go for lunch or dinner or take a break. And I think these things, certainly you need to be aware of them, but you also have to really step back and consider what do you want and what are your choices? There are both benefits and risks to epidurals. And I think anybody who's going anywhere where an epidural is in use, take time. Take a good childbirth class. Join us for our classes, our pleasurable birth essentials, and let me guide you to positively prepare for birth. But in that, to know all your options, what are the benefits? What are the risks? What are the alternatives? What does your intuition say? Know that you always have decision-making to consent, yes, or refuse, no, And in anything that you choose, make sure that it's done in a way that feels safe to you and that you still feel sexy to keep your hormone of oxytocin of love flowing. So you probably recognize that from an earlier podcast. That's our BRAINS acronym, Benefits, Risks, Alternatives. What does your intuition say? How do you feel about it? Your informed decision, decision making, not now, no or never, and safe and sexy. So when it comes to epidurals, you think about the benefits. It can be incredibly great pain relief. Someone where pain has become suffering. Someone with a very long labor that needs a break to get some rest so you can meet your baby 
wide awake and ready to enjoy those first moments with love. There are many other reasons as well. And I encourage you to get a piece of paper and write down what are the benefits. Now, when it comes to risks, get ready. Definitely do some research because there are many risks to epidurals. Epidurals typically slow labor. They do create a hormonal gap. If you listen to episode 13 with Dr. Sarah Buckley, she also spoke in episode four of our podcast early on. She talks all about the hormones and the physiology of childbirth, labor, birth, and breastfeeding. And in episode 13, she talks about this oxytocin feedback loop. And when you get an epidural, and it takes sensation away, the pressure that you would be feeling into the pelvic floor, the pressure of the cervix opening, the baby moving down is taken away, which can be a good thing if that is creating suffering, but it's also now not sending that message up to the brain to release more oxytocin to get that labor going and help that baby to be born. So really important, you create a good list of oxytocin enhancers because we know an epidural can really slow labor. The other thing we know about epidurals is in in order to get them, you first have to have one liter of fluid. So you need an intravenous drip and we need to expand that blood volume because epidurals tend to lower blood pressure. And not just a little, but it can go into the danger zone for mother baby if it drops too low. So expanding the blood volume first can be a really good thing to make sure that the blood pressure doesn't go down as much. So you have an IV in. We know labor slows. And when you have an IV, an intravenous drip in your arms, so often hospitals add synthetic oxytocin or what we call in the U.S. Pitocin. So most often with epidurals, we add some pit in there. So you have another machine and pump. Know that with an epidural and losing sensation and you're getting IV fluids, that fluid has to go somewhere. That means you have to pee. And most places are never going to let you up to go, nor will you have as much sensation for it. So that means a bladder catheter will be inserted in. And because we know epidurals can slow labor and impact both mother baby, it requires continuous fetal monitoring. If the water has released, they're going to often do an internal monitor for the baby. It looks like a little thin corkscrew that screws into the baby's scalp and is really getting a direct line to the baby's heartbeat. In some places, they will actually break the bag of water, rupture it so that they can get that lead onto the baby's head. And then an external monitor on the outside of that birthing person's body to be sensing when the contraction comes, how long it lasts, how strong it is. The other thing they're going to be doing is putting a blood pressure cuff on. They're automatically pumping up every three to five minutes because they need to watch your blood pressure. And often they put that pulse oximeter, the little clip on your finger to be monitoring blood oxygen level as well. 
So if you've been laboring and moving and rocking and rolling and doing what we call the three R's, relaxation, rhythm, and ritual, there's a big change with an epidural to more stillness, again, which could be welcome if you want to sleep. But it's a big change from maybe having nothing on your body to having a lot of tubes and wires on you. And I think for anyone who's thinking about an epidural, really important to learn about that, what those benefits, what those risks, because puncture and you're going to definitely have a very large kind of needle. The epidural needle is put into that spine, into the epidural space. It's threaded in. And then usually it's a thin tube that comes up and attaches to another pump. Depending on where you are, this can be a continuous drip where the anesthesiologist sets the dose and the amount. But more and more places are going to self-administered. So you'd have a little button. And this is great because we know when you have patient-administered medication, most people use less than the maximum dose they would have been given. So it definitely has a cap. You can't overdo it. But you can tap and keep adding more or letting it wear down if you want to feel a little bit more, especially when it comes to pushing. So for those that are watching over on YouTube, and if you haven't, follow us on our YouTube channel. We not only have podcasts, but we have a lot of other videos there. I'm going to just share a couple slides and go over some things that I often share and talk about in my doula workshops. And doulas, one... If you really want to learn a lot about preparing for birth, we're getting more and more people when they're pregnant coming to a doula workshop with us and even partners. It's a great skill to prepare for your birth. If you're going to be at a birth of a friend, a sister, a neighbor, doula workshops are so helpful. Honestly, people tell me all the time it should be required for anyone over 18 years old because we all know someone that's going to give birth and it's a great skill to have this much knowledge. So no, you can always join me at a doula workshop, but we also teach this in our childbirth classes. So this is a slide from the doula workshop and this is from evidencebasedbirth.com. I love Rebecca Drecker's resources. She She really goes over as a nurse researcher all the studies and the data and helps break out that benefit and risk. So this is evidencebasedbirth.com slash overview hyphen pain hyphen management hyphen during hyphen labor hyphen birth. So this is pain management during labor and birth. And so she talks about this, about pain relief. And this is really a philosophy of medical care. If you go to a hospital for surgery or maybe chronic illness or just illness, the overall philosophy of a hospital is pain relief. And yet we have this one area in a hospital that's about birth 
where I wish we didn't even use the word pain because I work with so many people that pain is not a descriptor. When they have movement, when they've been well-prepared, when they can do all different techniques and ways to dance and sing and love and be intimate, many people talk about intensity or challenge, but pain is not a descriptor. But in a hospital, pain is a descriptor. They often come in and say, how much pain are you in from one to 10? And when you think about pain, even if your pain is a four, we know the placebo effect is when we think about something, what the mind thinks the body feels. So the language of the hospital, the fact that the room looks the same as a sick room in so many places puts you in a mindset of being a patient. The fact that in many American hospitals, the bed is the center of the room and there's very little else there for comfort. We know that when you lay down, when you stay still, you actually have a longer, more painful labor. So they're creating pain in this. And then you're in an institution that everywhere else, they're about staying pain-free. So it's no surprise that the philosophy for labor and delivery is pain relief rather than a philosophy of how can we support you to cope and manage well with the intensity of labor and pain relief in the background. So if pain became suffering, you could request it. It's really important too to talk about that coping with pain, pain can be a normal part of labor. It's giving you the messages when you listen to your body and listen to your baby. You'll be able to feel if you get in one position that feels better. That's often leaning forward and moving. If you lean back and lay back, You'll often get a message that it hurts more. It's more difficult. So when you have the feeling of sensation, these can also guide you in great ways. But we want to really talk about pain versus suffering. And I love both Penny Simkin and Rebecca Drecker say, you can have pain without suffering or suffering without pain. And that's why education, support, doulas can be so essential here in helping you to feel more comfortable and confident in birth, to have someone there who's offering you reassurance, touch, and helping you to feel private and safe so your hormones are flowing beautifully. So really important on that because I think a lot of times people get epidurals when they might be afraid. When it really isn't that they're suffering from pain, they may have other suffering. They may be triggered emotionally in other ways. And there are other things that doulas, partners, those that are around them, providers could be doing to help people to feel safe to understand that what's coming up for them might be past traumas or what's coming up for them is just not feeling safe and private right now. But I believe culturally, we've made epidural. The minute someone says, ow, we're like, do you want an epidural? We don't ask what's going through your mind. What are the other things that are going on so that we are sure we're using the epidural wisely and then for other people helping them in a multitude 
multitude of other ways. So I really encourage you to talk with your caregivers about their rate of epidurals and what the other options are for people. Do they support people emotionally, spiritually? What do they do in helping you feel safe and private and connecting your intimacy with birth? And I hope you're listening to all our episodes that are talking about positioning. I've done two, both about first stage and second stage and great episodes on the clitoris's role in labor. So understanding your body, your anatomy, really understanding what's available to you so that you have an entire treasure chest of comfort measures to pull from and knowing that you've tried them and then make good decisions. So something else I love, Penny Simpkin taught me this and she wrote this, is the pain medication preference scale. And I would encourage you all to download this if you're a partner supporting someone, a doula, an educator, or if you're expecting. Go to the nationalpartnership.org and in their little search engine, put pain medication preference scale or jump over to YouTube where I'm putting this up right now and you can see the full link. But Penny made this like an unreal. It's not actually what's happening. But if you look at the plus 10, that's someone who wants to feel nothing. They want anesthesia at 37 weeks, make me unconscious, wake me up when the baby comes. So not real, everybody. Although I think there's some people that wish that could happen and partners maybe even more. Plus nine is a fear of pain. So really maybe wanting something earlier, as early as possible. A plus seven is a real desire for an epidural or anesthesia as soon as it's allowed. Plus five is wanting to get into active labor. We do know that if you wait to get an epidural to your four, five, six centimeters, there's definitely less likelihood that labor will slow more, which if it slows a lot, it can lead to other interventions, including cesarean birth. Plus three is a desire to use some medication, but as little as possible. So really wanting to explore all those comfort measures and self-help first. Many people I work with are a zero. Really sure, I have some people that their friend had a beautiful orgasmic home water birth. And they'd really love to use water and definitely listen to our episode with Barbara Harper all about water birth. We often call that the aquadural. It's as good as an epidural, but without losing all the effects and side effects of it. So definitely some people are like, I want that. Yet my friend had a really good epidural, and I know that was really satisfying for her. So if people are at a zero or leaning to a minus three, they prefer to avoid medication, a minus five, a strong preference to avoid pain meds, a minus seven, a really strong preference for a natural birth, and also because they don't want the baby to have exposure to meds. And that's important to talk about because we do know that some of the medication is passing to the baby. It has been found in breast milk. And we know that babies have some 
sometimes delayed motor, making that first feeds a little bit harder for the first three to 10 days when the epidural has been in place for a relatively long period of time. Minus nine, really don't want pain meds and a minus 10, no medication, even for a cesarean birth. And we know that's not real either. So we always say it's these two extremes are on either side, but how you feel about pain meds is somewhere in there. And partners, you should pick your number two. As the doula, I always ask everyone to imagine they're the one giving birth. What would your number be? And if the person giving birth and the partner are at very different numbers, it's important to talk about this. Sometimes partners and dads really struggle seeing someone they love in the intensity of labor, and they can be the one saying, you sure you don't want an epidural, which is more for their comfort than for their partners. So this is a great scale to help you decide where are you on there. And if you're a zero or leaning into really not wanting pain meds and you're giving birth in a hospital... I would encourage you to create a code word, again, from Penny Simpkin and in The Birth Partner. She has a great description of that because when you're there, you want to make sure no one's saying, do you want an epidural? That's like trying to avoid ice cream and have everybody show up your house with ice cream. Most likely, I'd then have an ice cream, even though I'm trying not to eat ice cream. So we want instead to put on our door like a hotel door, a little sign that says, please do not offer me an epidural. Please offer me and list three things you want. Tell me I'm strong. Tell me I've got this. Go tell, remind me to go take a shower or get in the tub or sit on the birth ball or hold my hand. Tell me I'm strong. There's so many things people can do that can support you rather than say, would you like an epidural? Because they're more comfortable with how to use the epidural. And that's, I think, sometimes our hospital staff are just so used to it with some hospitals that 80 or 90% of all people getting an epidural, they're not used to all the ways that comfort measures can work to provide that calm and comfort for women in labor. So definitely look at the pain medication preference scale. If you have a code word, make sure your partner knows what it is. And I actually find that a lot of people I work with to have two words so they can say the first part and let you know they're approaching where it's getting too much. But this is a time to reevaluate. How far are you close to birth? Do you just need more support, more people running the last mile of the marathon with you? And I've been with many people that said the first half of their word and never said the second half because we stepped up our support both with our hands, with our words, and could let them know they were getting close. They were in that intense hard part of transition and they were almost there. And one that I love, and I learned this because I teach in Austria, a doula workshop all the time, and I was telling them my code word story, and they taught, one of the doulas there taught it to their client, and her code words were amazing grace. And how special, I had someone use that then in labor here. How wonderful to have someone in the throes of hard labor yelling, amazing 
And that brought them through without the need to say grace. But truly, sometimes when pain becomes suffering, saying amazing grace or whatever your two code words are is really important because I trust that everyone knows what they need to give birth safely for their own, not only physical safety, but emotional well-being. And so whenever they're suffering in childbirth and an epidural is a way to relieve it, it's a great choice. So a couple last resources Definitely Sarah Buckley has two articles that I love on her blog, Lamaze.org, an organization. I am a Lamaze certified childbirth educator, has good articles on epidural and anesthesia. And as I already mentioned, evidencebasedbirth.com has great epidural resources. Check out our YouTube. I have more interviews with Dr. Sarah Buckley and I when we were together in Bali. Weighing epidural options is so important. And again, listen to episode 13 of our podcast with Dr. Sarah Buckley to fully understand when there is a hormonal gap, how you can fill it. So I hope I've given you some tips to think about so you can really decide using your brains, use that acronym, all about the benefits, risks, and alternatives, how you feel about epidurals, when you want to use them or not, and if you do, how to do it in a safe and sexy way to keep your hormones flowing. Please tag me on Instagram. Send me a message. I always love to hear from you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Orgasmic Birth Podcast. I hope you'll subscribe. Please rate us. Let us know how you feel. And we look forward to having you join us for our next episode. listening to the Orgasmic Birth Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about pleasure in birth parenting and birth work, visit orgasmicbirth.com forward slash more for my free gifts. And please leave a review about your experience. Reviews help us to reach more people and please subscribe.